0: All right. good morning Christ Central family. It's good to be here with you. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Friends, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Huey and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And again, it's so good to uh, be with you this morning as we've gathered as one big um, church family. Um, If you are visiting with us for the first time or if this is your first time in a very long time, I want to welcome you and I'm so glad you're here with us. Um, And I do want to extend a warm welcome to our central kids and our central youth students in this room. Uh, I know this is not your norm. I I know this is, um, it, it may feel like this is not your service, but um, I, I do want you to know that I've, I've thought about you, uh, I've, I've prayed for you, and I want you to know that this space uh, on this Sunday uh, belongs to you just as much as it belongs to all of the amazing grown-ups in this room. So again, central kids, central youth, um, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. So for, our, for um, our altar Sundays, we are in a special sermon series called The Truly Blessed Life. And in this sermon series, we're looking at a portion of scripture known as the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter five. The Beatitudes is the preamble to what is most often referred to as the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached known as the Sermon on the the Mount found in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And the goal of this sermon series is for us to consider together Jesus's vision of the truly blessed life. And according to Jesus, the truly blessed life, the truly happy life, the truly flourishing life is a life that is lived under and lived in the light of the present rule and reign of God. And the Beatitudes describe for us the heart. And the mind and the outlook and the values of the followers of Jesus, the Beatitudes paint a clear and compelling picture of what the Christian life is all about in any time and in any age. They portray for us the character and the lifestyle of those who belong to the kingdom. Therefore, the Beatitudes, friends, are for Christians They are for the followers of Jesus. It's not a way to earn and merit God's favor and blessing because we already have the favor and the blessing of God through through the grace of Christ. And because that is already true, our desire and our prayer is that we learn to close the integrity gap between what we say we believe and how how we live by the enabling grace of God. So the Beatitudes are for believers. But, friends, the Beatitudes are also for the skeptics and the doubters and the haters. They are for the disappointed and the disillusioned and the discouraged. They are for sinners and sufferers and strugglers. And if that is you this morning, again, welcome. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And, and, and by the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit that as you hear the Beatitudes, you might be awakened and renewed by the truth and hope of the gospel, that you would find the person and the work of Jesus Christ to be both believable and beautiful. So in the Beatitudes, Jesus invites all of us, young and old, to believe, embrace, and pursue his vision of the truly blessed life. And as we consider and pursue this vision, our prayer and hope is that we will live lives that are beautifully different from the world so that we might demonstrate a better and more beautiful way to live in the world for Christ's fame, for our joy, and for our neighbor's good. So last month, we considered the first beatitude that a truly blessed life belongs to those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This morning, we'll be looking at the second beatitude, and again, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be reading the first four four verses together. And I want to invite up Sophia Hu to come to read scripture for us. Sophia is a a graduating senior uh, this year, and she's going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 people of God this is God's word set apart for us this morning seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God thank you Sophia let's give her a hand and thank her thank you So, church family, this is a sermon outline that I would like to submit to you this morning. Um, it's two questions that I want us to consider together. First, what does it mean to mourn? And second, why should we? Why do we mourn? So, first, what does it mean to mourn? Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed, happy, flourishing are those who mourn. To mourn is to experience and express deep grief, sorrow, and lament, to experience and express sadness, discomfort, and unhappiness. So so perhaps a, a raw translation of the second beatitude might sound something like this. Happy are those who are unhappy. Happy are those who are sad. I don't know about you, but it doesn't really sound compelling, does it? And when we think about mourning, it's usually in the sense of experiencing grief and sorrow over losing a loved one or experiencing loss in other areas of our lives, like losing a relationship or losing a job. We often associate mourning with the experiences of life's deep disappointments, discouragements, and discomforts. However, in the context of the Beatitudes, this kind of mourning has everything to do with mourning over our sin and our sinful condition as we honestly and humbly see ourselves for who we are in the light of who God is. You see, the the second Beatitude flows from and it flows out of the first beatitude. Mourning flows from and it flows out of being poor in spirit. Mourning over our sin and our sinful condition flows from and it flows out of humbly and honestly acknowledging our sins, flaws, and weaknesses, and our need for God's presence, grace, and mercy. So in other words, it's one thing for us to acknowledge and embrace that we are poor in spirit, but it's a whole thing else to mourn and grieve that we are actually poor in spirit. Therefore, mourning in the context of the Beatitudes is the experience and expression of repentance and sorrow over our sins and our sinful condition. So Jesus is saying, blessed or happy are those who mourn over their sins, flaws, and weaknesses. He's saying that it is is far better to mourn over our sin than to minimize it, and to excuse it, to blame others for it, and to be indifferent to it. Scripture says that even King Jesus was intimately acquainted with grief. Like though he was the sinless, perfect son of God, we see him mourn and weep over the unrepentant city of Jerusalem that did not receive him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him mourn and grieve over the sins of the people that will soon betray him, reject him, and crucify him. Friends, you see, to mourn, to mourn is to embrace and embody the heart of King Jesus. Sisters, brothers and friends, how often and how thoughtfully, how clearly and how deeply do we mourn and grieve over our sins? John Stott in his commentary writes this, please listen, I fear, he writes, that Christians who make much of grace sometimes thereby make light of sin. There is not enough sorrow for us, for sin among us. Let's kind of sit in that for a little bit. I fear that Christians who make much of grace sometimes thereby make light of sin. And church family, and, and just to just to help us guard against any sort of this Vague, impersonal, detached, aimless, and soulless mourning over our sins, I want to humbly remind us that God is not silent, and he is not indifferent, and he is not passive about our appetite for sin and our broken and fallen nature. Rather, instead, he is actually honest and clear about our sins and our sinful Nature And this is some of these passages, I've been walking through this with our youth group students, but, he, but listen to Second Timothy chapter 3. Listen. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unho- unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. The last one really haunts me. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Or how about Galatians 5? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity. Impurity. And here's how I've defined and described sin for our youth students. I've said, sin is our innate callousness toward God. Sin is ignoring God and the world that he has made. Sin is our disobedience to his laws. It's a denial of his truth, rejection of his love, and indifference of his call, indifference to his call to follow him. It is far better, Jesus says, to mourn over our sin than to minimize it, excuse it, blame others for it, and be indifferent to it. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? (laughs) Church family, but why? Why does Jesus invite us to mourn over our sin? This leads us to our second point. Why do we mourn? Again, Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For they shall be comforted. You know, when I was in elementary school, I think I was fourth or fifth grade. um, I used to go to work with my mom on on Saturday mornings. Uh, She worked at sort of a a small convenience store in Staten Island, New York, that, that was owned by a family friend. And on on these Saturday mornings, we would leave our house around 7 a.m. And and after lunch, uh, I would take the bus back home while my mom stayed behind to close the shop in the evening. And my job, as as I went to work with my mom, my job was to be the watchdog at the store, right? I would sit in a corner and watch for people who might steal things. And occasionally, when my mom would either go to the bathroom or she would be stocking things on the shelves, I got to be behind the cash register and handle just very, very basic um, transactions. And one day, I opened the cash register while helping a customer pay. And I looked down on the cash register and and I laid my eyes on the money. And I remember thinking, hmm, I wish I could just have $5 so that on my way back home, I could go to the arcade store to play arcades. I remember thinking that. So just as quickly, the thought came to my head. I took the $5 and slipped it in my sock. And on my way home, I stopped at a comic book store and I played as many arcade games that I could with the money until my money ran out. And after it was over, I remember thinking, I I distinctly remember thinking this in my head, I, I thought to myself, not, wow, I feel really bad, I feel really guilty, what I thought was, wow, this was really easy, this is easy. And I was hooked after that. That one time turned into every Saturday for months and months. And the $5 turned into 10, and the $10 turned into 20, and sometimes the 20 turned into 40, depending on how much was in the cash register. I mean, the comic book collection that I still own to this day it was bought with the money that I stole from that register. Until one day, friends, by the grace of God, like by the grace of God, By the grace of God, I finally got caught. I finally got caught because I was careless and I didn't slip the $20 bill further down in my sock. And the owner of the store caught me with the money and confronted my mom about it. And when my mom asked me about it, by this point, I was so overwhelmed by the guilt and the shame that I just, there was no, there's nothing else. I had to confess Everything that I had, I had done. And on that day, both my mom and I were dismissed early from work. And on our bus ride home, I remember my mom didn't, didn't say much. She just put her arms around me. I laid my head on her shoulders. And I just cried the whole way home. Friends, two things I learned from this incident. The first thing I learned rather I learned rather quickly, but the second took me a while. I didn't learn it until years later. But first was this. Probably for, for the first time that I could remember, probably for the first time in my life, I think I was able to articulate that I that that I experienced for myself that that my mom was safe, that she was a refuge that her heart and compassion was wide enough that I could trust her with my sins, flaws, and weaknesses. Like, like probably for the first time that I could remember I experienced personally and deeply what I already knew was true and what I thought was just the given that my mom loves me. Like I knew that. I've, I heard that growing up, but, but this time I feel like I tasted it because I received comfort in place of condemnation. I received dignity in place of shame, and I received peace instead of guilt. So like this idea that I was her beloved son, like again, I knew it. The idea that I was her beloved son became so real and so personal for me, and I think I truly believed for the first time that she would never leave me nor forsake me. The second thing I learned was this. and And I found out years later that what I had done wasn't just brushed under the rug. There was a price to pay and a cost to absorb. See, I found out years later that my mom had paid back the money from her own paycheck. And she paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars, probably far more than what I, what I had actually stolen. And, and she bore the shame and guilt of my choices in the form of verbal ridicule and blame. And I realized my sins, flaws, and weaknesses came at a cost. And my mom bore that cost fully because it was, it was a price that I could not pay. So church family, sisters, brothers, and friends, all of us this morning, young and old, this is the beautiful news of the gospel that we desperately need to hear and believe. Our sins and flaws and weaknesses come at a cost. And at the heart of the gospel, we are confronted with the bad news that we are far more sinful than we, we could ever dare imagine, and that we owe an infinite and eternal debt that we cannot pay. And yet, at the heart of the gospel is also this amazing and beautiful good news that Jesus came to pay the debt that we owe. He bore the weight of our shame and our guilt, and he absorbed the punishment and judgment we justly deserve on the cross so that we might receive comfort in place of condemnation, so that we might receive dignity in place of our shame, so that we might receive peace in place of our guilt. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is his stamp on our hearts that on our best days and on our, especially on our worst days, we are his beloved daughters and sons and that he will never leave nor forsake us. Jack Miller, author and pastor, says, cheer up. Christ Central, cheer up. You are worse. You are a worse sinner than you dare imagine, and you are more love than you ever dared hope. And when we mourn over our sins, it takes us straight into God's gospel of comfort and grace. In our mourning, we honestly and humbly confess that we are messy, and that we are weak, and that we are flawed, and yet God is merciful and compassionate because of his beloved son. Therefore, on the other side of mourning, there is comfort and hope and joy to be had in the gospel. Therefore, friends, mourning is our faith-fueled, grace-driven, hope-inspired response to the reality of our sin and our sinful condition. Did you hear me? Therefore, mourning over our sins is our faith-fueled and grace-driven, hope-inspired response to the reality of our sin and our sinful condition. And when we learn to mourn over our sins in honest and humble confession and repentance, God's comfort in the gospel becomes more far more intimate, personal, and precious. We taste and experience that God in Christ is our refuge and that his comfort and compassion is big enough, it's wide enough, it's strong enough for all of our sins, flaws, and weaknesses. You know, in Luke chapter four, as Jesus sets out on his ministry, as Jesus begins his ministry, he quoted from Isaiah chapter six, which reads this. all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And after reading these words, Jesus says in Luke chapter four, verse 21, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, because Jesus is our ultimate comfort, who laid aside his own comfort and died in our place to pay the price for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might taste and see and know The comfort of his love and acceptance in the gospel fully and forever. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. So what? If if you've been at our church for a while, you know that on the last Sundays of every month, we remember and celebrate the Lord's table. Like this meal that we're about to eat together is the tangible expression of everything that we've talked about this morning. This table is the table of God's grace and His mercy, His forgiveness, and His comfort toward us sinners through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So, friends, as we come to this table, I want us to come eager. And expectant and hopeful because there's comfort to be had in the one who identified with us to the point of death, point of his death on the cross, and is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And at the same time, as you come eagerly and expecting and hopeful, at the same time, I want to invite us to come to the table. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit because, of you, because you have the welcome of Jesus. Like I want us to come thoughtfully, clearly, deeply mourning our sins, flaws, and weaknesses so that we might experience God's comfort in an intimate and lasting way. And, and for those of us in this room, if you don't know, if you don't know how to mourn, um, you don't know what to repent for, if you're not sure how to do this, then, then I want to point you to Psalm 139. And I want, maybe we can pray. Maybe you can pray the prayer that David prayed. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe that can be your prayer this morning. Embracing poverty of spirit and mourning our sins. Friends, it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't, we don't drift toward Embracing our poverty and mourning our sin. Because, friends, if we're honest, we are prone to self-sufficiency. We are prone to self-righteousness. We are prone to self-autonomy. We are prone to self-interest. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to reveal and to expose and convict our hearts so that our hearts might experience lasting joy and comfort in the gospel. And as the Apostle Paul says, friends, church, family, could we not presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. Could we not do that this morning? Let's not presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience because his kindness was meant to lead us to repentance and the renewal of our souls. And for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, again, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for giving me your attention and for hearing hearing these words. And I want to share with you that we, all of us, we are prone to looking for comfort in all the wrong places. Our money, our status, our jobs, our relationships, our, and our health. But these things will never satisfy and it will never last. The only sure comfort that we have in this life, the only sure comfort that will satisfy and last us is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So would you this morning give your life to him? Would you repent of your sins? Would you turn from your ways? Would you turn from seeking comfort in all these other places and turn to Jesus? If you, if you would like for someone to pray with you, if you would like to talk to somebody, I'll be here, some of the pastors will be here. We have our spiritual care team members around. Just pull us aside. We would love to talk with you, pray with you, and pray for you. Church family, let's pray. Lord, it's such good news that you don't just leave us in our mourning, but you take us through our mourning into comfort and lasting joy. Jesus, you promise us in your word that mourning will turn into dancing. And so God, in this moment, would you lead us to your presence? Would you lead us to repentance? Would you lead us to um, to be humble and honest about the ways that we might be passive and indifferent to our sins. Convict us by your Holy Spirit so that we would come poor in spirit and so that we could come mourning our, over our sin and our sinful condition and find you find you to be the comfort of all comforts. Father, we want to be near you this morning, especially as we celebrate the Lord's Table. So God, lead us by your grace and by your presence. For your beautiful name I pray, amen.